0: Welcome to episode 156 of This Week in Linux, your weekly source for Linux news. From the Destination Linux Network, I'm Michael Tunnell. Join me as we check out what's new in the Linux world, plus I'll give you my take as a 20-year plus Linux user. Coming up on this week's episode, we've got a lot of distro news this week with an update to the beta for elementary OS 6.0. We'll also check out the latest releases of Regolith Linux, Redcore Linux, and Alpine Linux. We've also got some cool hardware news to talk about with an update from the Pine64 team and the Indiegogo for the GenePad A1 has launched. Plus, I've got a new mechanical keyboard that I want to show you, and I guarantee you it will make you think, but why? Why? We've also got a new desktop environment to talk about this week called Cutefish DE. And later in the show, we've also got some app news to check out. All that and so much more coming up right now on This Week in Linux. Before we get started with the show this week, I just wanted to let you all know that we stream this show live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time or 1700 UTC, or in the case of this week, 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time because technical difficulties happen sometimes. I made some changes in preparation for this week's episode, but I didn't stream the changes or test them on live stream during the week. I probably should have done that, but... I've learned my lesson, so in addition to the normal weekly stream of Twill, I think I may be doing some sporadic, random streams in between each episode, just in case, so be sure to subscribe and ring that bell to get notified for whatever thing I'm testing at the time. Up first in the show this week, we're going to talk about Elementary OS 6.0 Beta 2 because it has been released and there are a lot of cool changes that have landed. And first up, they really—it they, they, is technically possible to go from the previous beta to the new beta, but they want you to try out the new installer stuff they have done because they've done a lot of polish and cleanup into the the UI of the installer. And they made some nice animations and effects and stuff like that. So they want people to try out the new installer. So even if you are using the previous beta for like development and testing, you may want to try. The new beta 2 as a fresh install, so you can try out the installer stuff, and that is. Uh, something they have in their, their blog post about that specifically. So if you do have the beta, uh, you technically can upgrade, but you they want you to test out the installer. But there's also a lot of other cool stuff that's in elementary OS 6.0 beta 2. Now, first of all, there is a new online accounts feature, and this is a major feature to land in beta 2 because it allows you to add uh, your accounts in the, on, the online accounts section from the system settings panel. And it basically allows you to add both mail and calendar apps that support IMAP and CalDab standards. And once you add it, the data from these accounts will show up across the system in apps like uh, Mail app, uh, calendar tasks, as well as other stuff like as in the uh, date and time panel indicator and that sort of stuff. So very, very cool to see that being added. And the thing that I'm the most excited about for elementary OS in general, Not 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 just the latest beta, but just in general, is the effort they are making to ship first-party apps as flat packs. So they're they're transitioning their Debian-based packages, their Debian-based apps as the first-party apps into flat packs, which also means they're going to have it inside of the the App Center flat pack repository, which is a part of the Elementary OS App Center. Which is really cool to see so in this latest uh news for the flat pack ch- uh, effort in this sense of re- making them work for the first party apps they have converted and are available already to use in the beta 2 the calculator the camera the document viewer screenshot tool the tasks app the web uh, browser application uh, so all of that is available from the app center flat pack repository and they say as a user it's entirely transparent as apps, apps launch and behave just as they did before, they just happen to be packaged in a different way under the hood. And as the beta process progresses uh, and we solve sign-bossing issues in our apps, we plan to transition even more apps from the Debian packages to the Flatpacks provided in the App Center Flatpak repository. Now, this is great because I I think it's it's fantastic because it shows that there is a, a potential of having these applications that a lot of people like uh, on not just on elementary OS, right? So that's one of the things I was super excited about the Flatpak, but it also means that it's more of a universal approach so they could do all sorts of stuff, not having to worry about it does it affect their apps in their core system, which is a really cool idea. So I'm very look- looking forward to see what happens in the future with all of that. And if you'd like to learn more about elementary OS or get a download link for the second beta version, you can find all those links in the show notes below. Up next in the show this week, we got some hardware news. We actually got a lot of hardware news this week, but we're going to talk about first the JingPad A1. They say this is the world's first consumer level Linux tablet. It's an ARM-based tablet. The JingPad A1 is powered by JingOS, that is specifically de- designed for the tablet, and it is an open source Linux distribution. And it's, what's really cool about JingOS is that it is based on KDE technology. So Plasma Mobile and and the KDE stack and a lot of cool stuff there. And I was really happy to see that because it, um, I thought, you know, this would be fantastic to see all the the work done to improve both on the mobile side, plus also the the Plasma side and that kind of thing. It is going to be a fork of KDE Plasma and Plasma. Plasma Mobile slash KWIN and that sort of stuff. So it's not going to be like directly based on it, which I was a little bit, I'll be honest, a little bit disappointed by that part. But at the same time, it is still going to be open source. So the code that is worked on that can be pulled back into Plasma Mobile or into KDPlasma if if they want to do that. So that is very, very cool. Now, let's talk about the specs of the Jingpad A1. Well, actually, before we get to that, it's currently on Indiegogo right now. It's already been funded, as you can see in the visuals. It was funded within 15 minutes of it going live, which is very good for them for sure. Uh, but they also have a very low bar of the uh, funding campaign that they only asked for like 20000 which for hardware is, not, is typically more than that, right? But they've already reached 100000 in the campaign, which is great. So I uh, it shows a lot of people are interested in getting this tablet. Uh I I I'm I'm pretty interested in getting this tablet too myself. Uh there's there's um also some information about, you know, some people have asked, like, do they is this enough money to make this product come to life? It's like, is this enough? Well, we did find out recently this week that they were they were had a venture capital funding round and were have raised $10 million for that. So that should be enough, right? <laughs> So uh, for those who are worried about whether or not it might happen, it does seem like it's going to happen. Now, let's talk about the specs of what's going to happen. And that is they have an 11-inch AMOLED 2K plus 4x3 screen. So the 4x3 is the aspect ratio of it. The 2K plus is the resolution of it, which is the, the pixels. And the AMOLED is the type of display, so it's got 2368 by 1728 pixels, and for the resolution, and it has 266 PPI or pixels per inch with 350 nit brightness, which is just to you know break it down means it's a pretty good display. <laughs> uh, there's also the processor for the Jing One, the Jing A1 is the Unisoc Tiger T7510. It's a 12 nanometer octa-core chipset processor with a four. A uh, Cortex A75 cores clocked at 2.0 gigahertz with a four uh, Cortex A55 cores clocked at 1.8 gigahertz. It has an 8,000 milliamp hour battery with usage time to around anywhere between eight hours to ten hours, give or take. Uh, it has eight gigabytes of LP DDR4 RAM. 256 gigabytes of UMCP storage. And in addition to that, you can also add more storage with a micro SD card slot of up to 512 gigabytes. Some more specs, we'll just a little bit of breakdown. Is the there? It's a USB t, USB-C uh, type uh, port for the charging, which is great to see. I, er, I, every product now should come with a USB-C. At this point, there's no reason I, the mini USB or the micro USB are used at all. So always gra- l- glad to see that. Uh, it has a 16-megapixel rear camera, an 8-megapixel front camera, a fingerprint reader, and also noise-canceling mics, which is pretty interesting to see on a tablet. Now, the this tablet has multiple different options in terms of like the Indiegogo campaign. There's different tiers. You can get the gene pad with the pencil, which is a stylus that has a 4,096 pressure levels, uh, which is really cool for really good for a stylus and this Jingpad pencil comes with the Jingpad by default on the lowest tier which comes in at $549 there's also another a, a peripheral you can get with the Jingpad keyboard and this is an 11-inch 6-row magnetically attachable keyboard with with a full la- layout of keys and it also has a built-in trackpad which kind of gives like a a laptop experience which is pretty interesting and with that if you want to get the pad plus the keyboard that's 699 and if you want to get both of them the Jingpad plus keyboard plus pencil that's 749 and they've also said that the they have a breakdown of when when they have a schedule expect, expectation of things so the mass shipping starting point they say is September 7th of this year so i mean it's pretty safe to say that it's going to happen they're very specific about the dates which is really nice to see most of the time you see like quarter three, quarter four, or something like maybe sometime this year or whatever. They're very specific to the date, uh, like the exact day. So that's nice. But what's also something I wanted to point out that was really interesting to me was that if you go to all the way down to the bottom of the campaign, there is a risks and challenges section. Now, this is really cool because I've never seen that before. Well, maybe I have, I just don't remember it, but I, I I honestly don't can't think of a time where I'd ever seen that where a company actually addressed these kinds of things. Uh, so they th- this is what is like here they say here are the risks you should consider and investigate before you purchase. Now very cool. So they say uh, four things that they they mention you should consider. Uh, first of all, Jingling Tech is a new company established in tw- in June June 2020. JingOS is a new OS, which may not be mature enough yet for consumers to use currently, but it's getting better every day. And JingPad A1 is the first generation hardware product of this company. While And also because it's it's the, the JingPad A1 is using an ARM-based uh, processor, they, they mentioned that the ecosystem for ARM Linux is not as mature as the x86 Linux ecosystem, which is very true. There are times where... I've tried to I've had ARM products and tried to s- install certain applications that are just not available for ARM now that you could build them yourself in those kinds of cases in some cases but some of them don't allow you to build them and you know proprietary software and that kind of thing makes it a little bit more complicated so the ARM ecosystem is a little bit you know not as mature as the x86 Linux ecosystem so that is something also worth noting now this is interesting to me because one they're telling you these things themselves and that's, and I think that's pretty cool. So uh, there are things that you should consider, but I do think it's respectable that they would put them and let you know about those things ahead of time. So very cool. If you'd like to learn more about the JingPad A1, then uh, I'll have a link in the show notes where you can check out information about the, the tablet itself, the JingOS operating system, and if, you know, the Indiegogo campaign, if you want to get it your you know, check that out. I have links to all of that in the show notes. There's been some rumors about Windows 11, codename Sun Valley, in the last couple of weeks, but now it seems that that's official, as there has been a leak of a leaked build of Windows 11 that has made the rounds in the press and you know videos and sh- other shows and things like that. And Microsoft has also announced that Windows 10 support will be ending in October 2025. And you may be wondering why is a show called This Week in Linux covering Windows news? And that's a great question. First of all, there are some people saying that Windows 11 design reminds them of a combination of KDE Plasma plus GNOME 40, which I think is a very interesting take on it. And to me, it looks very similar to a combination of that. So I would have to agree. And also some people are saying it looks like deep in a little bit and that sort of thing. But there's also another reason and a more accurate reason, and that is because of clickbait and SEO. As you might imagine, I don't really care about Windows. And I think this should be enough time spent on this topic for watch time of the, of the video. So let's move on. Up next in the show, we got some more hardware news to talk about, and that is some stuff from the Pine64 team. So they released the June update for Pine64. And there's been a lot of cool stuff that they announced, like the Quart64 Model A is now available in the Pine store. There's also been updates information about the Pine phone, the Pine time, the the pine dio and also the pine seal and so much more so we're going to talk about all of these but and break down some of it but it's going to probably cover a little bit of highlights to most of it and some things will go into more deep details but first of all before we get into that i wanted to talk about something that i think is quite interesting and very valuable that a lot of people might kind of dismiss as not that important as in you know the the improvements to the product pages of the pine store most notably is that they have now added uh, shipping stock and availability tracker information to the website. So previously when people would ask me, when's the Pine sill available? When's the Pine Pro available? When can I get the next Pine Phone? And that sort of stuff. My answer would have to be, uh, at some point, I don't know. Because they were doing they do batch orders. So every, every once in a while, like every few months, they would have it available. But the exact date, I have no idea. Now we have more idea of when it's going to happen because they have added this shipping and availability tracker, which is fantastic to see. Now, in addition to this, they have the Quartz 64 Model A, which is now available. There are two different models that you can get. The four gigabyte RAM model, which is $59.99. The eight gigabyte model, which is $79.99. And this is—they say that the development of the Quart sixty-four is proceeding very quickly. But for now, this is a board for developers and enthusiasts capable of contributing. So this is a quick note. If you want to get it, they are uh, right now su- suggesting that it's more of an enthusiast developer testing thing. There is going to be a model B that will be a smaller footprint available later on the store at some point. But you know, if you want to get the model A, you know, you, it's for those those types of, of users. Now, there's also some news about the PinePhone hardware. So the PinePhone has uh, a keyboard attachment uh, peripheral kind of thing. So it's an add-on device. And what it does is that you take off the back of the PinePhone and you attach this device to it. And it uses the Pogo pins for a GPIO connection to be able to do things with the keyboard attachment. So you have a a hardware keyboard that you can attach to the PinePhone, which is very cool. And in addition to that, you can actually charge the uh, the uh, the PinePhone with the PinePhone keyboard and use the top USB port for the PinePhone for other things like the convergence dock at the same time. So you can actually have it being charged and also use the convergence dock. Now you can technically do that anyway with the convergence dock because it does have that. But that's just an example of what you could do with it. You could do other things well, but you know anyway. Now you wouldn't probably you wouldn't want to charge both of them at the same time. That could be a problem. But, you know, you get it. Anyway, there's also some updates to the PinePhone software for like text messaging and like, um, well, multimedia messages for like MMS, that kind of thing. So that's really nice to see. But they've also had some interesting news about the PineTime. So for people who have ordered a PineTime, you might have a little bit of a delay for the because the availability has been uh, delayed thanks to some comp- uh, component shortages that has been happening for the past few months, actually over a year because of, you know, obviously the 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 global issues have affected quite a bit of lo- quite a bit of stuff including uh, supplies and supply chains and that kind of thing. but uh, they are working on it and they're still you know doing development of the pine time so it will happen but it might be a little bit later than expected. Now the pine seal has had a new uh, hammerhead kit announced so if you go to the pine store you can find the 20 24 dollars cent kit for the hammerhead now, I had no idea what that was because I'm not a person who does typically does with soldering irons. But what it is, it's interesting because it allows you to more easily remove components from PCB by being able to attach it to the pine seal and heat up this uh, head that allows you to more easily get these things off rather than having to directly, uh, you know, do something like a hot air gun and that kind of thing. So uh, this is, or you, I guess you could do both of them at the same time if you wanted to. But anyway. These, there's lots of great news in the in the for the pine 64 team and I've, I'm always excited to see what they're doing every month because they release new uh, updates every month for their hardware and their software and the stuff that they're working on uh, actually uh, every month on the 15th though next month there's a little bit of information that they uh, that they posted in the this current update that they might not be on time or not be in full or you know that sort of stuff so you know if you are paying attention to that You know, there you go. But I just think it's really cool that they're consistently letting us know about what's happening because a lot of companies aren't telling people what they're doing. They're not being transparent about it, and I really love it when companies do that. So give them props for that as well. And if you want to check out all the the new things about uh, the the quartz sixty four, the Pine Time, the Pine of Pine Phone, and all that sort of stuff, I'll have links in the show notes below to their blog post as well as the Pine sixty four website store. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean and their app platform. DigitalOcean's app platform service is a solution to build modern cloud-native apps. You can have multiple different programming languages available to you with Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby. It also has support for static sites, Docker, and container images. And with the app platform, you get high scalability with zero infrastructure management. But what does that mean? Well, you simply point your code. Uh, you actually, well, that's you point your code to the app platform, but specifically, you can point your GitHub or GitLab repository to the app platform and let it do all the heavy lifting for you. What does that mean? Well, it handles the infrastructure like the app runtimes and dependencies, so you can push code to production in just a few clicks. It will even also help you secure your apps automatically by creating, managing, and renewing your SSL certificates, and also protect your apps from DDoS attacks. Or if you don't know what that means, denial of service attacks or distributed denial of service attacks. Now, this is what's really cool about this is that run code with, you can run code with little to no customization because the app platform uses uh, open cloud native standards. And what it does is that it will analyze your code from your repository, whether it's a GitHub or GitLab, and it will create containers based on that code and then run them on Kubernetes clusters. And you can get started on the app platform for free. Actually, better than free because as a member of the DLN community and a listener of This Week in Linux podcast, or as I refer to it as Twillers, you can get a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash DLN. So, again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 free credit. That's right, $100 for free on the app platform from DigitalOcean. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Up next in the show is a really interesting piece of news, and that is a new desktop environment has been announced. And this is called Cutefish DE or Cutefish Desktop Environment. And this is based on KDE Plasma 5. So it uses the KDE frameworks, it uses Qt and that sort of thing. This is really interesting because it's, it's being made uh, for a new Linux distro called Cutefish OS. It is developed uh, for, on C and QML. And it uses a a graphical user interface framework, which is called Quick, And of course, because it's based on the KDE stack, it is using the KWIN window manager, which is awesome to see. Of course, as I mentioned previously, I'm a fan of KDE, which is, you know, you've never seen the show before. I've said that probably a thousand times now. Maybe not that many times, but uh, pretty up there. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, so they're also developing their own series of applications with the uh the new DE and new OS for the Acute Fish OS. And what's really cool about this is that it is an open source uh, operating system and an open source DE so that you'd be able to so the the KDE team will be able to see what's ha- what's the, the changes that are happening. So I love th- I love to see that, obviously. But uh what's it's, it's if you haven't if you're looking at the visuals for the show, if you're on the audio version, uh, I'll describe it. it. It looks very much like Mac OS. It looks very similar. Now, are they is Cutefish OS connected to Jing OS in terms of you know the visuals are very similar? Are they related? Now, I don't know exactly to what degree they're related, but if you go onto the Cutefish website, at the very bottom it says Friends of Cutefish and it does link to Jing OS. So I don't know exactly what that really means. But uh, it is; it does make sense that they'd be kind of connected in the, in the way that they're uh, very similar in their uh, design approach. Now, uh, I hope it's not a fork of KDE. I don't know. I couldn't find the information specifically about that yet uh, because I, I really want it to be a layer on top of KDE because that means it can introdu- it can be able to introduce all of this cool stuff that KDE Plasma uh, continues to build out. So, But we don't, we don't know yet. Um, but either way, even if it is a fork, the fact that it's open source still makes it a valuable uh, essence for the project because they could still take stuff from the from the Qtfish DE, and if they want to bring it into Plasma, they could. But I do like that part. Now, at the moment, it appears the only way to try out Qtfish DE is via Arch Linux, as there are not any other downloads on their website. And I don't know if there's any... I couldn't find the instructions to do it, so if you're not familiar with... with, uh, with Arch Linux, it might be a little bit more difficult to try it out. So I would say that just wait until they have something to, to, to download. But if you are an Arch Linux user, then you can check out the links in the show notes to, do, to check that out. And also, I will have some more information in the future because I will keep you up to date on future episodes of Twill. Once we have you know the ability to more easily try out the Cutefish OS or the Cutefish DE. Up next in the show, we have another piece of hardware to talk about this week, and this is a really interesting piece of hardware. I actually, it's a mechanical keyboard, and I am very much a fan of mechanical keyboards. I used to think well, why would a mechanical keyboard be so much so expensive? What are they worth it? And it just seems like they're they're excessive and there's no reason for them. But I thought that, I thought that for many years. And then I finally used one and realized uh, I was wrong. Mechanical keyboards are awesome. It took about five, maybe 10 minutes for me to fall in love with the mechanical keyboard concept. And I have been using one ever since, been a couple years now, and mechanical keyboards are the best. Now, I did have the same question about why does this exist for this keyboard though? And this is the Red Dragon K605 or K605 Alien Giant Keyboard. They describe it as a super big keyboard. Okay, sure. So let's see. In the visuals, if you're watching the video right now, I'm switching to the more better example of what this keyboard looks like. And that is compared to a smaller keyboard. So for the audio, the audio listeners, this is a roughly two foot long keyboard that is about eight inches deep and about 2.3, 2.5 inches thick. And it has massive keys. It's a 61 key keyboard too. So it's a 61 key keyboard that just happens to be enormous. For some reason, it has uh, blue switches, lots of RGB, and they say it's ergonomic. I'm not sure how, I maybe, I guess, but it comes in at $322 to get this massive keyboard. Maybe for some reason someone wants this. If there's anybody out there that might want something like this, please let me know the reason for it. I, I'm very curious about that, but for me... I don't know why it exists. And you might be wondering, yeah, why does it exist? And that's a great question. And they d- didn't share the information, so I I don't know. They just they just made it. But why am I covering it on the show? Well, that's another great question, and I also don't know. I guess the novelty factor because it's it's fun that this exists. I don't know why anyone want it, but you know, it's there and they put a lot of effort into it. They made it RGB and all sorts of stuff, so It's interesting, at the least. So that's why it's on the show, I guess, because it's interesting. (laughs) If you'd like to learn more about this unnecessarily massive keyboard for some reason, links in the show notes. Up next in the show, we're going to do some app news, and this is the latest release of Activity Watch, which is 0.11.0 has been released. If you're unfamiliar with Activity Watch, Activity Watch is an app that automatically tracks how you spend time on your devices. It's open source, privacy-centric, cross-platform and also a good alternative for things like rescue time and manic time and other things like that. It can be used to keep track of your productivity, time spent on different projects, uh, bad screen habits, that sort of stuff, or just to understand how you spend your time on your computer. So there's there's a lot of cool things about this. So for example, here's some features that to list off. That, so it's got uh, it tracks active application and window title out of the box. With uh, more watchers available, you could add different types of things that add uh, functionality to it. You can also uh, ha- there's editor plugins that track how much time you spend writing code with the editor watcher. There's the uh the different browser extensions so for example it can track how much time you spend on the on a particular active tab uh, and also uh, it works for the Firefox and Chrome it uh, has cross platform it works on Windows Mac Linux and Android it has synchronization options but they're currently still working on that sort of stuff but it does it, it is planned to be there but what's really cool is that what this allows you to do it allows you to monitor, monitor your productivity So you can track how much time you spend on different projects, get an overview of time spent on apps, games, videos, music, that sort of stuff, Uh, you know, manage bad screen habits, that kind of thing, Uh, measure your, you know, work-life balance, like how much you're spending time on work applications and how much time you're spending on just to kind of hanging out and chilling on the you know you know Zoom conferences or Jitsi conferences or you know watching videos and that kind of thing. It's really interesting uh, piece a piece of uh, software that I just had to let you know about. And it also does stuff like um you know keep, like life logging, which is like keeping a log of your digital life and that sort of stuff. And it could be useful for people who are you know doing some research on uh attention or behavioral just dis- usage of, of of uh software and that kind of thing it's a really cool idea of software and i and there's been like rescue time I, if you haven't heard of that that's a really popular one and when i originally was looking for something like this i found activity watch and it, it was like really this exists fantastic so uh i haven't been using it that long because it's only been a few days since i've been trying it out but it is pretty cool. So. If you are looking for something like that, then you might want to check out Activity Watch. I'll have a link in the show notes below. Up next in the show, speaking of, act- of like tracking data and that kind of thing, there's also Zombie Tracker GPS 1.08 has been released this week. If you're unfamiliar with Zombie Tracker GPS, like I was before this week, Uh, Zombie Tracker GPS is an app targeted to uh, cyclists, runners, hikers, or anyone who collects GPS tracking data with like handheld units and that sort of stuff, uh, especially if you want to store your data on your own computer and not in a cloud-based system, uh, because this allows you to do that and also get a bunch of cool features like charting and graphing to visually see elevation, speed, and that kind of stuff through profiles. Also supports multiple different map providers Uh, it has time-based activity summarizing over weeks, months, years, uh, display by activity and that kind of thing. Also estimation of power and, uh, power consumption of your, uh, devices and also calories expended based on like, uh, you know, slopes and speeds and stuff like in, in, in the terrain. And that it's really, really interesting piece of software. The name is kind of weird. Zombie Tracker. like, I don't really get the name, but... It's really cool, and it's a—it's got a very customizable UI, and it has something that's like really, I think every application should have—is session saving and restoring. Uh, everything should have that, but th- this one does. So that's really cool. And uh, they've also made some uh, improvements with a 1.08 release of like changing the UI pane features to do split paint or, uh, you know, basically have a uh, range based tool tips for point pane multi-selection, uh, visual range indication for line panes and a, b- a bunch of stuff, which would make much more sense for people who are looking in this kind of software. I understand the core concept of it, but I've not used it, uh, as you can tell in the visuals That I'm not much of a runner. Maybe someday. But if you are a runner, you might want to check out Zombie Tracker GPS in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com DLN. Bitwarden is a password manager that is software that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. I've been using Bitwarden for years now, and when they became a sponsor, I was so excited, so ecstatic to have them as a sponsor of the show because Bitwarden is awesome awesome. So if you're not familiar, Bitwarden is a password manager. It allows you to store your passwords in a secured vault, but it also has extra features to have peace of mind and also convenience because you can basically create those passwords automatically with their auto generator. You can also uh, automatically fill those passwords in on login forms so you don't have to do it. So many great features. And it also has the, the ability to have the access across multiple different devices. So if it's a browser plugin or a desktop app application or a mobile application, or even the command line, if you want to do that, they have access to all of your stuff through the Bitwarden's password manager. And in addition to this, it's not just has great tons of features, It, it does have a ton of great features. And I, I love all the features it has, but in addition to that, it, it could could it get better? Yes, it could, because it's open source software. That's right, Bitwarden is 100% open source software. So in addition to being able to secure your data with end-to-end encryption, where it ne- so it never it never leaves your devices without being encrypted, so you you know you're the only person who has access to your data. You also know you can check out the code that makes this happen on their source code and also they actually hire third-party audit uh, security firms to audit their code to make sure it is safe as possible and they release the the information of those audits publicly on their blog because Bitwarden is amazing so go to bitwarden.com slash dln to get started with your free account but I think you want to check out their premium edition because for just actually less than a dollar per month yeah less than a dollar per month so ten dollars per year will get you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, priority customer service, and so much more. So make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN. You can get peace of mind knowing your passwords and other sensitive data is safe, and also be sure to check out the premium account because, in addition to all those things, you can also have uh, family accounts, uh, organizational accounts, business accounts, which allows you to have multiple different people using the software and being able to share data back and forth in a secure way. It is just amazing. Bitwarden is fantastic. So, for less than ten dollars for, well, actually ten dollars per year, less than a dollar per month, you can get all of this great stuff with Bitwarden, and it also shows them that you appreciate them supporting open source and supporting the This Week in Linux podcast. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, we got some more distro news. And first up, we have Regolith Linux 1.6 has been released. Regolith is a very interesting distribution for anyone who wants to try out tiling window managers, specifically I3 window manager because it uses I3 in addition to the GNOME system stack to do some a pretty interesting way of doing a distribution. Uh, Actually, what's really cool it is a it's using the GNOME system as a basis for like the system settings and that kind of thing, and it uses I3 as the window manager to you know manipulate the windows and that kind of thing to manage the windows. That's where that term comes from. Anyway. (laughs) So it uses i3, and I'm pretty sure it uses i3 gaps if you're familiar with i3. That is kind of like the, it has a gap between the tiling of the windows. And if you're not familiar with tiling window managers, it's a very interesting style of computing that is typically known as being like a hardcore type of interface because it's not a very polished inter- experience in, in most cases. But the way that Regolith does it is a lot makes it a lot easier for people to get started because it's an Ubuntu-based distribution that has i3 and you can just install the distro and be good to go. Uh, so the latest version of 1.6 uh, has some updates to uh, there's a new status indicator for the app launcher, which that makes it possible to easily cl- use the mouse to open r- uh, Rafi, which is a window switcher application launcher type of thing. And they've also got new themes, or as they call them, looks. They have a new one called Midnight, and another one for that's designed for the Solarized design, which is they have its uh, Solarized light. So that's available, and also you can, uh, if you're not familiar with the Regolith structure, you can not o- not only just install the distro, you can actually install the Regolith packages on top of your existing Ubuntu installs, so you can try it without having to do a full fresh install, which is pretty cool. Now, if you want to fully embrace it, I think it might be better to do that because depending on the different window managers, I haven't tested i3 with every desktop environment, but not all desktop environments are, you know, excited to bring in other window managers and other desktop environments. So just keep that in mind, it'll probably be fine, but I don't know for sure because I haven't done a test on all of them. So there you go. Just let that be known. If you'd like to learn more about Regulus Linux or, you know, trying out i3 and that sort of stuff or get the download link for version 1.6 specifically, you'll find links in the show notes. Up next in the show is Red Core Linux 2101 Orion has been released. So, if you're not familiar with Red Core, Red Core Linux is a distribution based on Gentoo Linux, and it actually is based on the Gentoo Linux stable and some unstable packages, uh, unstable structures, anyway. It aims to be a very quick way to install a pure Gentoo Linux system without spending hours or days compiling from source code and reading documentation to do that. By the way, Gentoo documentation, very nice, very nice, just pointing that out. A lot of people talk about how Arch Linux's wiki is great and stuff, which it is, sure but Gentoo's documentation is also quite good. Anyway, they, it, this Redcore Linux comes with pre-built binary packages in a repository that receives uh, continuous updates and a rolling release model. And of course, as a person, I was definitely interested in this one because I'm a big KDE fan. It uses KDE Plasma as the desktop environment for Redcore. Now, what's new in this latest release is that it has been uh, synced to the, the Gentoo's testing tree as of uh, May 31st, 2021. And also it has updated to the Linux kernel uh, 5.11.22 as a default, but it also has available for the 5.4 and 5.10 LTS versions in the repositories. They've updated, made it updates to Mesa and Xorg server. They've actually made a change to the live environment. So there's no longer needs passwords for the live environment. So you just boot straight into the system and then you can do pseudo stuff by, or you can act as root by just typing in sue and enter and that kind of thing they also have some updates to their Sisyphus package manager, which is a fun name for a package manager. But uh, if you're not familiar with that, um, you know, mythology, look that up. Sisyphus is really interesting. that be a name for a package manager. Anyway, they have made some updates to it. So it now is able to remember any custom use flags or keywords or masks or unmasks when switching between the stable or the testing branches of the distribution. And also, but because of this this latest version, I was so excited to see this is because Flatpak is supported out of the box now. You just enabled the flat hub inside of Discover, but they make they they make a point by saying do not follow any of the Flatpak on Gentoo guides you find online because that could be an issue since the Flatpak support is built in into Redcore. You don't need to follow those guides, so you might actually mess up stuff if you do. So that's worth noting now. What's really interesting about this is that this is the first release in more than a year or so for Redcore and the reason is because there were some changes in Gentoo with the profile system because there was a very like it's a very complicated structure the way they changed it so I'm not going to go into the full details of like explaining what happened because it's 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 a uh, it's pretty complicated but uh, Gentoo Linux made some changes that they that the Redcore team said almost killed the distro this change was the new pro- profile system that, the Gen- that Gen2 is using now. Now they say that this is a critical change because it made them have to think about rebasing on other distros like uh, maybe Funtoo or uh, maybe uh, Exerbo, like uh, Sabion recently rebased onto Funtoo Linux. Uh, but they said that they tried out both bases and decided against changing it. They, they decided to stick with Gentoo Linux and use the new profiles, which is really cool because and because of doing that. This, they, a lot of the, the work that was done to make that happen also improved other pieces like improving uh, the Sisyphus package manager and also making it possible to have flat packs available out of the box, which is very nice. Now, it is worth noting that if you already are a RedCore user and if you have previous versions of RedCore, due to the way the new Gentoo profiles work, the RedCore Linux team have made it clear on their pages that it is not compatible with the previous versions of RedCore because it's very, very different in the core system. So uh, I'm, I'm fairly sure this is the first time that Redcore hasn't had the ability to do upgrades, but they do say they recommend a fresh install. And they even say, in, and I quote, seriously, don't even attempt it as it will break the system. So worth noting that. <laughs> if you have, if you were using the beta version of this, uh, the 2101, then you could update from that. But otherwise, you know, consider a fresh install. If you'd like to learn more about RedCore Linux or get a download for the version 2101, you'll find links in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the latest release of Alpine Linux 3.14. And that has, uh, if you're not familiar with Alpine Linux, Alpine Linux is a security-oriented, lightweight Linux distribution built around Muscle, LibC, and BusyBox. This is, this is actually kind of like the – it's one of the few distributions that don't use GNU tools. So this is uh, – it makes it much smaller than traditional GNU Linux distributions and actually very small. So Alpine Linux is more known for being used inside of projects focused on uh, container development. So inside of a container, Alpine can be used with just 8 megabytes. And a min- and a minimal installation inst- installation to disk requires only 130 megabytes of storage. So eight megabytes being the RAM and 100 130 megabytes of storage. So it's very very small when you when you put it in the container system. But if you want to use it on the desktop, you can do that as well. Uh, and and actually, they have it. If you want to use the Alpine Linux 3.14, uh, you can have that with KDE Plasma 5.22, which is fantastic to see. Right, KDE Plasma. You know. Yeah. Little bit, little bit biased when I talk about... Is every distro that I talk covered today? No, because Regolith. Regolith. See, it's not all of it. It's not all Plasma-based stuff, people. I love KDE, but I also cover other things. <laughs> anyway, so this release contains a lot of package updates, like QEMU 6.0 is available. Lua is available, like got updated. Python, Postgres, Nginx, and many others got updated. Uh, so if you want to check it out, I'll have links in the show notes below for Alpine Linux. And if you want to get a download for the version 3.14, I'll have a link for that as well in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the show and the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, sponsors, Patreon, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigitalcom contribute. And if you become a patron, you can join me during the live stream in the recording stadium, and actually in the patron skybox of the recording stadium to discuss stuff between topics and just hang out after the show every week because we have a patron-only post show that is available to only patrons, obviously, that's why it's called that. At the, at the end of every episode each week. So if you want to do that, go to tuxdigal.com slash contribute. Or you can also order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to DLNStore.com. And this is a shirt I designed to convey the message that whether or not you know that Linux is there, it probably is. That's why it has Tux blended in the background of the design of the shirt. And also, you should go to the, the, the dealinstore. Dot com anyway, because there's even if you if this is maybe not the shirt for you, maybe you want a design, this kind of design on a mug, you can do that as well. Because a deal has so much great stuff. We have mugs, sh- hoodies, stickers, shirts, hats, aprons, backpacks, all kinds of stuff available at deal for all of the great podcasts on the destination Linux network. And speaking of the other podcasts on destination Linux network. You can check that out by going to destinationlinux.network, where there's there's podcasts like Destination Linux, Hardware Addicts, Pseudo Show, GameSphere, Sphere, Extend, and so much more. Go check it out, destinationlinux.network. Also, if you'd like to contribute without any cost to you, you can use our affiliate links by going to tuxdigital.com slash affiliates. You can find things for like Amazon, Humble Bundle, and much more all there at tuxdigital.com slash affiliates. And just a a quick reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern or 1700 UTC. So join us in the live chat room. to discuss all the latest Linux news each week by going to dealinlive.com. And thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with the Destination Linux Network. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux. And I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux. Good news.